Welcome to another episode of the Journey Podcast. The Journey Podcast is all about sharing the journeys of purpose-driven individuals from all walks of life, who are following their passion and fulfilling their purpose in their own individual unique way. And I'm your host, Risa Kawamoto. In today's episode, I'm having a conversation with a dear friend of mine, John Allen. John is an award-winning writer and copywriter. For his fictional writing, he writes under the pen name of J.W. Allen, and he recently won the Kuron Kon Speculative Fiction Prize for his dystopian story, Show Me Your Resume. His stories have appeared in Simultaneous Times Podcast, Dark Matter Magazine, Sci-Fi Lampoon, and more. But it wasn't always smooth sailing for John. He will be sharing how he got into writing and his struggle with his mental health along the way, and how he became a champion of promoting better mental health in society in his own unique way. I've known John for many years now, and his passion and determination has always been an inspiration to me, especially when I was starting out as a new yoga teacher and building my yoga and Ayurveda business whilst working in my day job. You will hear from him that he juggles writing with his other work, and he really made me feel that it's okay to follow my passion whilst keeping the day job. He will be sharing his top tips on how you can follow your own passion at the end of the episode, so do make sure to listen till the end. I hope you'll find his journey inspiring. So uh, hi John, welcome to the Journey Podcast. I yeah. am very gay. <laughs> I'm <laughs> very excited. Me. Yes, no, I'm very excited to have you. And yeah, I really can't wait to hear your inspiring journey. But yeah, firstly, how are you feeling today? And also, where in the world you are joining? Sure. From? So I'm feeling pretty tired today, uh, but that's that's quite normal because I've been burning the candle trying to get a lot of stuff finished because I'm actually going on holiday at the end of the week. So this is a really nice way to sort of finish up the week, just sort of have someone chat to me. So um, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to the holiday. So I'm OK, but I'll, but I'll be glad for the rest. All right. OK, well, where, where are you off to? Oh, um, I forgot to mention where I am in the world as well. So yeah. <laughs> um, so I live in Essex. Um, my wife and I moved here pre-COVID, uh, so we now live in a little town called Leon Sea, which is three miles down the road from South End on Sea, which most people know more about, usually for the wrong reasons. But where we live is actually very nice, and actually South End is also really nice. So I'm going to big it up for South End to anyone who disses it because it's actually a really nice place to live. But don't come and live here because we want to keep it nice. <laughs> I'm actually secretly quite envious because we live <laughs> near the sea and I live in London and yeah I'm trying to convince my partner to let's move out of London <laughs> I want to live near the sea yeah I'm really envious <laughs> yeah that's okay I get that a lot <laughs> <laughs> cool so first of all I would love for you to share a little bit about your background Sure. and anything you would like to share about growing up and your early years as well sure um uh, i mean we could be here for a very long time so i'll try and keep it as brief as possible um my background is um i'm a semi-professional writer fiction writer cop and i'm a copywriter editor and content writer and digital content manager and I, in my experience, I've been a business manager. I used to work for Odeon Cinemas as a general manager. Uh, I've been an optician. <laughs> I've worked in the mental health sector. I've worked in, I currently work in healthcare as well. Um, I'm contracting for the NHS as we speak, amongst many other projects. Um, but writing is the core element of what I do and who I am. And I've been doing it professionally since 2011. So it's 11 years now I've been doing that. Um, growing up, how did I get to where I am today? That's <laughs> a messy story, but I think that's true of most people. So um, 
I suppose I come from a very typical middle class family. Uh, I was the middle child of three. And I don't know if you've ever heard of middle child syndrome. Uh, mm. but I get, yeah, you have. <laughs> yes. Yeah, kind of. Um, yeah. yeah, I get that. A lot. Do you have a you have a brother, don't you? Yeah, I have a brother. I'm the youngest, so I'm the lucky one. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think I'm the unlucky one being the middle child in the family. Um, yeah. Because I've got an older sister and I've got a younger brother. And growing up, the one thing that's really stuck in my head all the time is my parents are constantly saying to me, oh, thank God you were the break in between your sister and your brother. Um, I was always told I was the quiet one. I was the the one who didn't cause too many problems. And when I was younger, that's kind of cool to have your parent tell you. But then when you're a kid, I think you tend to live up to what what you're learning and what your parents are telling you. So I kind of grew up with an expectation that, oh, I so I have to be quiet. I'm I'm the calm one. I have to do I have to be calm because otherwise it's bad for other people. And I think I took that into school quite a bit. Uh, so believe it or not, people when they meet me think I'm I'm a real extrovert and I'm happy to go in in a room and talk to anyone who's there and yes I do do that but I've I've had to learn to do that because believe it or not I'm actually quite introverted um I'm quite comfortable sitting in a room by myself um and enjoying my own company for a few hours um I also think there's um there's a sort of miss not miscommunication, the word I'm looking for, there's a misunderstanding to what an introvert actually is. Introverts don't hate people. We love people. I love talking mm. to people, but I'm very happy to do it on my own terms and in my own way. So I think growing up and my early years and the things that I was taught at school, particularly, and how to behave and how to act, definitely influenced me in my early years and it taught me to be quiet and it was only until I got to university you know and, I, and uh, my parents really encouraged me to, to apply and to go which was great because I think that's really important for kids to have that kind of encouragement um, it was only when I got to university that I started to come out of my shell a little bit um, and actually sort of discover who I am and uh, mm. find my own voice and start messing about and thinking about what I wanted to do in life so I think long story short it, all those experiences have influenced to, uh, me to where I am today I didn't know if I wanted to be a writer when I was younger I, I always wrote stories and I always enjoyed reading and I was books were all over the house when I was growing up I was very lucky but I didn't know I wanted to do it. And in fact, there were many experiences I had at school which actively discouraged me from being creative and from pursuing writing passions. I went to, um, just full disclosure, I went to a Catholic school, which is, you know, fine and it had good reputations. But I, I personally don't think religious schools are always the best way to go I'm being very careful with what I say here because I know some people love them but for me I didn't think it was great because when I was probably in year eight um, I'd always worked hard I got that from my dad you know work hard work hard work hard and you can achieve lots of stuff but I remember being told when I was 12 years old from a science teacher oh, you're just not bright enough to be in this set at the moment, John. We need to downgrade you a set. Not, you know, you're just not bright enough. And that really stuck in my head. And mm. that stuck in my head for so many years that I think it actively held me back from pushing myself forward. Because when you're a child, you hear, when, when people tell you stuff, you're like a sponge. Or I, thought, I felt I was a sponge. And even on a subconscious level, I didn't realise that, that might have been that might have affected me so over the next few years like a typical teenager I messed around a little bit um, and I didn't try as hard as I think I could have and as I've got older I've actually gone the other way so now I work ridiculously long hours sometime to try and make up mm. for the ground that I lost when I was younger um, so I'm introverted but I do like talking to people um, I've had various 
mental health crises. As I've grown up, I was diagnosed with general anxiety disorder a few years ago, which I thought was a made up disease or just made up nonsense. And I actually threatened to punch my counsellor uh, when he told me I was really angry. <laughs> but maybe he had a point because I was really angry at him telling me I had this thing. Um, but, you know, I think it's actually made me a bit stronger knowing, learning all these things. And it's kind of made me look, try and look after myself a bit more because in uh, up until about a few years ago, I was really bad at it. I, I just would really push myself too hard and then wonder why I was essentially having a nervous breakdown. Um, but yeah, I suppose all those things growing up, you know, middle child, getting that repetition from my parents, um oh i i don't talk about it that much because i don't think it's a big thing but i'm blind in one eye as well and i i had something called congenital glaucoma when i was a baby so they had to take my eye out when i was less than a year old then i had to go through several operations to have this prosthetic put in it's great i've grown up with it to me it's normal um but i was told by a counselor that you know that kind of trauma was the word he used can sort of sink through your brain even if you don't realize it and people when i was growing up when they found out they didn't always but they tended to treat me a little differently at school um and just i know i'm off on a bit of a tangent here but coming back to the catholic school bit um I thought I was different because of the eye and it was only after a few experiences with some teachers that I was different because I wasn't Catholic um, and I and again I know this is not true of all uh, Catholic schools but the Catholic school that I went to did make me feel very different did make me feel very apart from the other children who were Catholic or came from good Catholic families um, and I think that probably sank in a little bit too deeply and it took me quite a few years to push away from that. And I have, which is good. But it all brought me up to now. And um, I started writing seriously when I was 26 and I've never really stopped. Um, I've had a lot of trips along the way. I've had some successes, too. And it and it is a continuing journey. I haven't finished yet. And I'm not I'm always trying. I'm always on my way to finding new places to go and where do I want to be well maybe we can get to that a bit longer <laughs> you know, <laughs> you've got a few questions I know and I've gone on for quite a bit so I'm just going to take a sip of water <laughs> well thank you so much for sharing that I have many questions actually mm -hmm. I would love to know like being a middle child and <laughs> being constantly told by you know parents and family that you are the quiet one mm. what how how did that impact you like you know in adult life um i uh, that's a that's a interesting question and i think i've got a two-part answer to it as well so it's impacted me in several ways. Um, one way is there's still this voice at the back of my head that whenever I see my parents, I have an automatic reaction to fit this model that they want me to be in, which is John's the quiet one, he's the sensible one. You know, he not that my sister and my brother aren't sensible, they are extraordinarily talented and sensible, but my parents, I think they you know they tell tell us different things they tell me these things um and i and it's it's almost like a a challenge that i have to live up to every time i see them so i sometimes feel i can't always be myself um mm -hmm. around them so that's always looking at the back of my head and um the other thing is it, other people say this you know you, you get people saying oh you're the middle child and they say it with a funny oh you're the middle child oh that must mean you could be trouble or you know you're not as good as your sister or your brother um, which I have had from a few people in my career which is weird I don't know why they say it but they have said it um, so again it's more expectations being subconsciously put into the back of my head it doesn't make sense when I think about it logically 
but it's always there and it's influenced me I'm I think it's influenced me in a way that I feel like I've always got something to prove to myself more than anything that I I know these expectations were set down at a young age and I've worked really hard to try and push my way beyond them and disprove them in a sense and um writing it, it's been a really useful safety valve for me over the years um that's one reason i i got into it it's not the only reason the main reason i write is because i really enjoy it and it's fun making up stories it's fun creating new worlds in your head and it's kind of fun creating new characters which usually are an amalgamation of real people i've met in my life so but yeah it's definitely it's always lurking in the back of my head there mm, yes um i'm actually a little guilty because as I, I guess you know every time when i hear someone's a middle child like oh because you hear all this thing you know about being middle child and i had friends a uh, few friends who are in like middle child as well so yeah it's interesting how people just you know hear oh you're a middle child and you automatically think that you're the trouble one or you're the like black sheep of the family or yeah. out. it's really strange but yeah. yeah it is odd and um sometimes you know I'm not going to go into too much detail because it's not fair on the people that I'd be referencing but you know I have had some people in my life you know flat out tell me um you know because of because of because of this i felt bad or because i've because of who i am they felt bad um that sounds very vague but i've had people say that to me and i don't again i don't think it's fair for me to go into too much detail because they're not here to respond but i have had a lot of people at various stages in my family tell me oh you know because of who you are I've you've made me feel bad or you've made me feel this way not because of anything I've done just because of the circumstances of me being that person that middle child or you know the person with the you know with the medical problems or you know I've never I really don't like being the center of attention um and I do come from a uh uh, a background where everyone vies to be the center of attention like it's quite loud sometimes and I actually like to sit back and be a little bit quieter myself mainly because it's too exhausting to be loud all the time and um, <laughs> I think that's something we're taught in our careers as well that oh, you've got to put yourself forward you've got to be you've got to be upfront and loud and I realised I uh, what people actually mean is they mean, well, yes, you've got to you've got to put your hand up and be noticed, but do it in your do it on your terms. Be yourself, because I think a lot of the toxic work cultures that we see today are a result of predominantly white. Well, not just white men, all men just being louder than everybody else and not knowing when to shut up and listen and um, that's something I've been learning a lot the last 10 years particularly as I moved into writing that actually I learn more about people when I listen um, and gently prod them with questions as you're doing to me today you're probably learning way more about me today than I've ever shared with a lot of people so well done <laughs> Thank you. Well, yeah, that's um, yeah, that's so interesting because, yeah, most people like to be the center of attention and they like to talk about themselves. <laughs> um, yeah. And what I've been learning through um, doing my coaching training as well is, you know, one of the top skills coaches need to have is active listening skills. And yeah, so I'm trying so hard here today with you, <laughs> obviously. Well, I'm listening to you. I have so many questions I want to ask, but like, you know. Me too. To... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, to be present with you today and just listening your journey. Um, mm. Yeah, it's kind of really healing, actually. Just, yeah, without any um, expectation, you know, just listening to your journey. I, I find it's really healing. So yes, oh. thank you for sharing that with me. 
um, with That's the listeners as well. That's quite a humbling thing to hear. That's quite a humbling thing to hear, Risa. Thank you for telling me that. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I don't think I'm that inspiring. I don't think I'm that that kind of person. But you know, if I can, if you're getting something out of me sharing this, great. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely. I'm sure you know my listeners will. Um, yeah, get inspired by your journey, and I'm <laughs> sure they'll take away from something from this conversation. And and my last question around your kind of childhood and as you sure. were growing up, um, did you have any role models or like anyone that you used to look up to, like as you were growing up? Yeah, um, I had. There's a couple, actually. I had to really think hard about this when you when you you know sent me the question because <laughs> at first I thought, oh God, do I have any role models? Um, and then I realised, yeah, there's there's quite a few people. So I suppose the first one was probably my dad because you know not not in after I've just sat there and said you know they put all these expectations on me without even meaning to, but I think you have to take into account they had a they you know I was born and all of a sudden I had to go into hospital so many times and I can't imagine how horrifying that is for any parent because I'm not a parent but I can I can imagine how scary and and traumatic that must be for them but the one thing my dad's always done which I'm forever grateful for is basically told me from a very young age and and my mum did too but I definitely got it more from my dad you know do you know what son as long as you work hard at whatever you want to do you just do it you know he said he didn't care what I ended up doing he said as long as I enjoy it and I work hard at it he said that's all that matters really because you know you know we spend a lot a lot of our lives working yeah for money but hopefully doing things that we also enjoy too and that that really stuck with me because the one thing I think I can safely say I'm very good at is putting in the work um, especially with writing you have to put in the work otherwise you just don't get better it is almost like practicing the piano um, you know if you don't practice the piano you're just not going to get better it's the same with writing if you don't practice writing it is a craft um, and like any craft you've got to put in the time and you've got to listen to feedback and you've got to go to classes sometimes to learn more and to learn things that you don't know yet and you've got to read and all these other things. And that all comes from my dad, I guess. Um, also, I had a teacher, I remember, who was very encouraging with my stories when I was a kid called Miss O'Sullivan. Um, I, I don't know where she is now, but she was the probably the only teacher I remember having at primary school who really encouraged me to, oh, this is, you know, very creative, gave me books to read, suggested books that I might enjoy um so that was always really cool um and i suppose recently there is one person above all who really does inspire me and it's going to sound a bit corny but that is my wife um she is one of the most intelligent people i've met in my life she works very hard at what she does but she's really efficient with her work I've learned so much from her with regards to time management to planning to being more organized whereas you know I used to be a bit crap at it but I've I've listened to her and I've watched her uh, as she's developed in her career and her life as well and she just she just blows my mind the way she can crack through a lot of stuff and the way she can talk to people and listen to people um I think one of the things that attracted me one of the one of the many things that attracted me to her was her the intelligence but also the fact that she is a really good listener and I think that's a super strength in any career because if you by listening you can end up getting people to reveal so much more and you know work is all about relationship building and she, just the way she's able to listen and because she gets the information from people very quickly, because she's very approachable, uh, people tell her stuff that they probably wouldn't tell another manager. She's a, uh, my wife's a director, a people director now at the British Society of Rheumatology. Um, and she's got there pure, I think, hard work. She's really good at what she does. She's trained 
but she listens. She she is really good at listening, and it's it's just an underrated skill. And I've learned a lot from her on that as well. Yes, yes. Don't well, tell her I said that. By the way, it will go to her head. <laughs> well, I have to say, I love your life, and I feel like you guys are a power couple. You know,、um, really. Are you saying, yeah, are you saying I, we're like the Obamas or something? <laughs> <laughs> Not. <laughs>、um, yeah, but I definitely like to interview your wife as well、uh, yeah. very soon. Um, because yeah, she is definitely someone that is really inspiring and inspiring for you as well. And I'm、yeah. sure she can inspire so many other people as well. Yeah, she does, I think. So, moving on to like now to your university time and、mm. how you started your career. I guess like your full time job,、um, yeah. I would like for you to share a little bit about that as sure. well.、Um, God, well, I think coming back to what I mentioned earlier is, I felt I, I had a love hate relationship with school. I, I hope that came across quite clearly.、Um, so, at the time, I, I was unsure on. You know, I think I don't know anyone at sixteen or eighteen who knows what they want to do. If they do, I think they are in the minority,、um, and very fortunate if you know from a very young age what you want to do. I didn't have a clue at that age.、Um, I was encouraged to apply for university because it looks good for the school.、Um, I remember that.、Um, my mum and dad did encourage me to apply as well. You know, they said, "No, you know, you're bright enough," which was nice to hear. You should go for it.、Um, so I did.、Uh, but the one thing about uni that the best experience for me for uni was it just really brought me out of my shell. Like I I would not say boo to a goose or or a ghost or whatever that phrase is. I really wouldn't. I was very much quieter than I am now.、Um, perhaps more、uh, typically introverted or what people expect an introvert to be. Uh, but uni really encouraged me to try new things, meet new people,、uh, talk to different people who come from different backgrounds. You know, I think university's got a lot of stick in the press in recent years, and I think that is grossly unfair because it's not just about the degree.、Uh, certainly for me, it was not just about the degree. Yeah, I got the degree out of it, but I also got I got the opportunity to to learn more about myself, my life. And I learned how to be better at critical thinking, which is a skill that is so underrated、um, in many jobs. You know, and it doesn't matter what you're doing. Critical thinking is really important for、um, a healthy society. You know, if you can't, if you just when you look at politics today, you know, I think the way the situation we're in at the moment is a result of not enough critical thinking, not enough challenge, and not enough questioning from from all of us on what the hell is going on. Why why is this happening? When it whenever it comes to climate, to money, to energy, to all the things that we're all worried about right now, racism, sexism, you name it. That that's you know a lack of. It's there. Critical thinking is there, but it's it's almost been seen as a dirty word.、Um, Sorry, I'm going off a bit of a tangent here, so I apologise. So uni for uni for me was was really good for from that perspective, but I didn't know what I wanted to do there. And I uni the best thing I got out of uni was the things that I just mentioned. What it didn't do, unfortunately, was prepare me for the world of work.、Um, and I think that's maybe something that I hope it's better at now because、uh, you know this was we're talking twenty plus years ago when I was at university, but at the time. I didn't feel I was fully prepared for what the world of work would be. I was basically led to believe, oh, you've got a degree now, you'll fly into an amazing, high-powered job, and that's just not how it works. <laughs> that's not how the world works.、Um, you know, I left uni, and for the first two years, I sank what I now know was a very deep, depressive period、um, between two thousand and one and two thousand and three. Um, I struggled to get a job. My confidence went low because I'd gone from living in halls at university to going home, essentially, to back to living with your parents because you don't have any money until you get a job. And、um, between two thousand and one, two thousand and three, I did some temping. I worked for a few. I worked 
I had my job at Sainsbury's, which I stupidly quit sooner than I should have because that would have at least given me more money coming in. And um, it was awful, you know, and I I didn't know how to. There's there's a couple of close friends of mine who know that I was depressed and that, you know, they they know me quite well. But, you know, at the time, we didn't have the language to call it that. We didn't know how to express it properly. And I remember one friend telling me in a pub one night, oh, you just need to you need to get a job. You just basically need to get a job and sort yourself out. And I'm forever grateful for him for saying that, John, if you're listening, it's it's you. But I am forever grateful for him saying that because I didn't know what I was doing. So I just went and got a job, any job. I ended up working at HMV for quite a while. And that was fun because, you know, I got DVDs and discounts. Um, but then, you know, I lost the temp contract came to an end and I did get into another funk. And, you know, trigger warning for listeners, I did self-harm. You know, I ended up punching walls and stuff and scraping the skin off my knuckles because it was the only way I could feel something, which was weird. And we can that's a whole separate discussion that you can talk to to a counsellor for years about. But I understand now why I was doing it, but it was it was really bad. And I didn't know what it was. Um, and then it was May 2003. I, I'd applied for a management trainee scheme uh, with Odeon Cinemas and I was accepted. I went through like three rounds of interviews and that was like a massive switch in, uh, uh, in my career dire direction. I'd always loved cinema. I was the president of the Cinema Society uh, in my third year at uni um i you know i love movies and this seemed like a really fun way to kind of get into that sort what the exhibition era of the business and it was really fun i learned so much when i was there actually another role model i suppose for me was the manager who trained me at odeon and that's uh, george rate who now works for a hospice charity i think and he is one of the best people managers i've ever worked with in my life um, you know, he, he took this really naive young 23 year old Wally and basically turned me into what what I now know is a really good manager and a really good business manager as well. Because back then we didn't just, you know, do the front of house. We did everything. So that was accounting. That was payroll. That was checking your trading accounts, learning what all the figures meant, learning how to leverage your retail sales to make more money for the business. Uh, doing premieres, organising events, going to uh, exhibitor events, meeting new people. He taught me how to do that, how to do it professionally, how to how to engage professionally, stuff that I just didn't really get at uni. I got critical thinking at uni, but I didn't get any of the sort of soft skills that you need for life on how to operate, essentially. So that was fantastic. Um, I worked really hard. I did a break in 2005 to bum around traveling because I'd never did it when I came out of uni. So I went off to Canada and the States. I'd saved up money to do it. Really enjoyed it. Did run into a grizzly bear at one point and survived because it was on the other side of a bridge and it walks away. So I was very lucky. But I loved all of that. Then I came back in 2006. I did another couple of temp jobs, was in a bit of a funk. Then I went back to Odium. And I worked there between 2007 to 2011, worked my way up to general manager. And then in 2011, this was the real turning point for me, which I know was another thing um, you wanted to get me to think about is uh, the company went through a major transition. Um, I was still writing in the back of all this, by the way, but I hadn't taken it seriously. Uh, but in 2011, Two things happened. Um, I got out of a very toxic relationship that um, was just awful for both of us. It was just wrong for both of us. And I'm glad it we ended it. Um, and I then I had to tell my team at Swiss Cottage, which is where I was at the time, that we were all being redeployed or made redundant because the company was repositioning itself. They had a new structure and a way of working. And, you know, I took it really badly because I felt I felt like it was a personal attack on my ability as a manager. It wasn't, but it felt that way to me. Plus, I'd seen my former mentor who trained me essentially leave the business the year before. I saw loads of my colleagues had left the business and it just didn't feel like home as a career for me anymore. So um, I quit. 
<laughs> sorry, I got out of a toxic relationship. Two months later, I quit my job. Um, I ended up working for a few months at one of the dodgiest companies I've ever worked with in my life. I won't go into too much details because I wouldn't want to get myself into trouble, but it was horrible. The culture was horrible. The director, the managing director who I was reporting directly to was abysmal. Um, I was miserable and I left in June 2011 and I reached out to a mutual friend we both know um, who, to see if I could do any blogging and writing for his marketing company. And that's how my career trajectory completely changed. Like I, I did a full pivot from being this quite, well, I've told very successful manager and business manager for Odeon. Um, I'd actually worked as an HR assistant and an HR advisor in between as well. So I'd, I'd got the HR background and then I suddenly thinking, oh, no, I don't want to do that anymore. It's just not for me. I need to change everything. Um, so I did two of the most, what's it, what do they call it now? Two of the most traumatic life changes, uh, like getting out of a relationship or, you know, and changing your job but not just changing your job changing your career trajectory completely and yeah it's terrifying because i had no experience professionally writing i yeah i'd done my own stories and i'd submitted some stuff but nothing had ever come of it and all of a sudden here i am doing something i'd never really d taken seriously before for the first time um and that's how that it was a pivot and thank god to my friend for giving me that opportunity to start doing it was you know it was seo writing but i was learning a lot about seo i was learning a lot about digital content but i was also doing fiction writing at the same time so it really gave me a drive to keep pushing and keep going and it gave me a lot of confidence that i had lost throughout that bad relationship and the sort of degradation of the job that i was in before um, so if I could give any advice to anyone listening at the moment is if you're not happy in your job, don't just sit there and let it happen. Do try and talk to someone about it. But um, um, we, can, we can talk about that maybe towards the end. But that's what changed. And I've kept going ever since then. And I've had ups and downs, but I haven't stopped. I will not stop. I'm like perpetual motion machine at the moment <laughs> so <laughs> or like the terminator of writing i don't i don't know but um it's something that i i think it would be a betrayal of my brain if i just gave it up because now that i am getting success it shows that the hard work is beginning to pay off it takes time but it's working it's hard but i am enjoying it well thank you thank you so much for sharing that journey um yeah, that was a great advice. You know, I've been in a job that I didn't enjoy, few jobs in the past. And yeah, talking to someone really helped, even, you know, they might not be able to do something, you know, to mm. give me a new job or, you know, maybe introduce to somebody that might need someone, you know, on a job or anything. But yeah, just talking to someone really helps. Yeah. So yeah, that's a great advice. So, okay, so you worked in Audion and yep. then you went traveling for a year, did you say? For... Uh, about four or five months all four in. Four or five months, yeah. okay. And then you came back and you... I did. You didn't stay and traveling. <laughs> for the Run out of money. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did you actually leave your job at Audion? I did. Okay. I did. Yeah, I left it in 2005. And then uh, if we're going to go for full disclosure, between 2000 and sort of end of 2005, mid 2006, um, I was working for the Gambling Commission as a junior HR advisor. Uh, I got that role from another person who I could probably cite as a mentor. Um, she taught me a lot about people management as well as George. Uh, to, her name's Alison Loftin, um, and she is now a global, God, I can't remember her full job title, but she's a global talent acquisition or HR director in Malaysia. She lives over in Malaysia at the moment, um, but she is she's another person who really helped me develop as a people manager, uh, got me working on processes as well, you know, just helping me develop the soft skills that I needed and toning down some of my rough edges as well, because I think she did, both her and George really did save my 
arse on quite a few occasions when I could have got into a lot of trouble. Um, so I'm really grateful that they had the patience and the, I don't know, the tenacity to steer me through those difficult times. <laughs> so I did that, but I, at the same time, and I, again, I didn't realise it at the time, but I was again in a depressive funk. Um, I'd, I'd done travelling, I'd you know, had these amazing experiences. I'd come home again to a bit of a bump. It was a bit like coming back from university and, oh, I'm back to normal again. It's back to the day-to-day -day drudgery. Um, and that took me another six months to pull myself out of. And again, I didn't have the language for it at the time. I didn't know that that's what it was because no one told me. No one had ever spoken to me about these things. And growing up, we were never we would never talk about mental health. You know, it just wasn't the thing. It was like, oh, they're not feeling very well or, you know, but you never knew. Um, so I realised I was in a bad way at the end of 2006 and I reached out to George, uh, my former manager at uh, Odeon Kensington at the time, and he was still with the company. And I said, look, you know, I'm in a really bad way. I don't feel great. I remember sending him this this email, which probably sounded awful from his perspective. But um, yeah, he said he, he was he was absolutely amazing because he just found me. He got me a position back in the company um, to help help him with a, a new cinema that he'd been given in Whiteleys, which was in Bayswater in London. Um, so that's how I got back in. And then over the next six months, I had the opportunity to push myself again, develop, uh, help other managers. And then I was offered a senior manager position at Odeon Uxbridge on the sort of northwest outer edge of London uh, with a totally different style of management. Uh, but she was also really good and she really helped me learn new things about the business. And that, and it, from there, I basically just worked my way up to becoming a general manager, which is when you have total business and site control of a cinema. Um, and I got that in 2008 working at Swiss Cottage and then I was there until I left in 2011 when I did that pivot to become a writer or try to become a writer. Yes so now yeah I would like to hear more about how you pivoted into mm. writing and how all this experience um, working with supportive managers and yourself developing that kind of people management skills and gaining that experience how did that influence you becoming a writer and pivoting to that direction all that I don't think you'll meet any writer who won't say that I, I don't think you'll meet any writer who will say that oh you know I just decided I wanted to be one one day I, I think they are very rare I know there are some people who do sit there and say oh yeah I always knew I wanted to be a writer all the writers I've met it's come from similar experiences to mine it's come from well I've been doing this job I've tried this I've tried that I've done this I've done that you know you've you've got writers out there who have been doctors psychologists business managers finance managers entrepreneurs um yoga yoga teachers you know all sorts of different backgrounds from all sorts of different uh, uh, cultural backgrounds as well. I mean, it, I think all those experiences, if I hadn't have had them, I don't think I would be as good a writer as I am now. And I know I'm still not the best I can be, but I I think I kind of had to go through all of that to get to where I am. It, it almost sounds accidental, but maybe it wasn't because because I always knew I wanted to tell stories, but I just didn't know how to put myself in a position where I might actually get paid to tell stories or someone might want to publish something I'd written. Um, interestingly, money's not a huge motivator for me when it comes to this. My opinion is as long as I've got enough to live on comfortably wherever possible, I mean, that's that's becoming increasingly hard in our current economic climate, but uh, the, the goal is not money. The goal is to share my stories to have other people read them to have to to share my perspective on the world because i think i have something to say i've got lots of things to say as it turns out but um and writing is that that wouldn't have happened if i hadn't have gone through 
the my university, like growing up, university, going to Odeon, going traveling, coming back, uh, going back into Odeon, coming out of Odeon. Even, you know, the relationships, good and bad, that I've had, they've all influenced everything I write. Um, because writing, you can't you can't do it in isolation. Writing is about people. Like pe- I've spoken to many people who think we just sit behind our keyboards all day. Yes, we do do that too. But what do we write about? You know, yes, we can read, but we also have to go and speak with people to learn stuff about the world. We have to listen to radio. We have to go out and see our friends and family. We have to go and do other jobs because um, the average income of a UK writer if you're just doing writing, is about £12,500 a year. You can't live on that. So you do have to do other jobs a lot of the time to supplement your income. And you do things like podcasts, you do you do speaking events, you go to conventions. It's not just about writing, it is about people. Um, and but again, I wouldn't have been there if I hadn't have gone through all those other experiences. They've heavily influenced me. I, I don't think I'd be doing this if I hadn't done all that stuff first. So I, you mentioned that you can live just being a writer, and I know you've had <laughs> several jobs, and mm-hmm. you, um, you have that currently, but you did some other jobs previously as well. So yeah, yep. I would like to hear that as well. Well, I'm currently uh, I'm on a contract uh, helping the NHS, uh, NHS England. So I'm on a fixed term contract with them part time to help them clean up mostly that the website because the nhs has been under immense pressure well forever but definitely over the last three years and i saw an opportunity came come up earlier this year to try they needed content officers to help them clean it up so i'm doing that uh, at the moment alongside the freelance work that i'm doing um i I've, i do freelance regular freelancing for a mental health company as well Mental health, that's another thing that, because of things that I've learned about myself, has become very important to me when you when I've realised how many other people are living and struggling with poor mental health on a day-to-day basis and how critical, I use that word very carefully, but how critical it is to talk about it because um, especially now we're in a situation where if you're not talking about it, you're going to get ill. You're, you're just going to make yourself unwell. So I've I've volunteer in the sector still. I've worked with Mind. I've worked with Samaritans. I've worked on a campaign called Time to Change, which sadly closed in 20, during the pandemic, 2021, I think it closed its doors last year. But that was a campaign to end mental health stigma and discrimination. And I got into all of that stuff because I had a breakdown. And I, um, all the pressure I was putting on myself to be a better writer, to achieve, to to go further and further. Um, sometimes it's just too much putting that on your own head. And I had a complete breakdown in 2014, which prompted another career change because at the time I was I was working as an optician, helping run a home care business, and I had to get out. Um, I remember very, you know, I was trying to write, I was trying to run help run that business i was trying to uh, do too many things um pay my rent as well because you know living in london i don't anymore but living in london has never been cheap um and it all just got too much and i remember sitting in front of my computer one day i was trying to do some logistical planning for home visits I couldn't see anything on the screen and I thought oh god there's something wrong with my eye and me being blind in one eye I was really paranoid because I thought crap has something gone wrong have I uh, have I got some kind of disease have I got glaucoma in the good eye again and it was no it wasn't wasn't my eyesight at all uh my brain had literally done this weird thing I was later told by a doctor and a counsellor where it's just when there's a point your mind gets to where it physically cannot cope with processing information and it comes about from uh, mental exhaustion. Um, They call it a mental health crisis now, you know, in layman's terms, it used to be called a nervous breakdown. And I was in the middle of one and I didn't know it. Um, So I trotted off to 
uh, it was actually a local mind I trotted off to to say help because I couldn't get an appointment at the time with my GP. I did get an appointment with my GP eventually um, and started doing counselling on a weekly basis because I needed to be able to talk these things through and try and figure out what on earth was going on in my brain and why is it suddenly betraying me and why is it collapsing? Um those sessions were really useful for my writing and for my jobs as well because they kept me functioning um i again i would encourage anyone who's who's sitting here maybe listening to this and thinking oh god you know i can't do that i can't admit i've got a problem because it still happens i know we're talking about it more but it still happens don't try not to i know it's can feel embarrassing but it's quite common like one in four people every year living with a mental health problem it's sad to say it's pretty normal um but it's really really important that you go and see someone you know even if you just go and talk to a friend about how you're feeling or your partner or anyone you trust you know reach out it's it's worth having a chat for me I had to do that in my head. I know I wasn't functioning properly. In the back of my head, I knew mm, so I need to do something. So I went to get help. And uh, if I hadn't have done that, again, I don't think I would still be standing here talking about this and still writing and still pushing myself forward uh, because it was it was awful. I cannot underscore enough and how terrible I felt, like physically sick, Um scared to get up scared to go out the door because you're afraid something bad's going to happen to you um and just the eyesight thing alone really frightened me that was the push that made me go and seek some support uh because i was terrified i was going by going blind you know and and then worrying about what my friends and family might think and as it turns out, by the way, I've got really lovely friends and my family are really can, are mostly really supportive. So um, don't underestimate the people closest around you nine times out of 10. If they're your friends, they know you very well. They're going to help you, even if they don't understand it fully. They're going to they're going to be able to listen. They're going to be able to you know give you a little bit of mental support because they're your friends. Um, but I didn't know that at the time, because when you're in the middle of a crisis, you're not thinking straight. You can't. Um, but I, I knew enough. I was lucky. I knew enough that to know, shit, I need help. You know, this is not good. Um, and that's that's ironically, that's what pushed me into the mental health sector, because I was like, well, God, if I'm feeling this way, how many other people might be feeling this way? How many other guys might feel this way? Because traditionally in this country and perhaps globally as well, men don't really would talk not to talk about how they're feeling uh, and share their feelings about work and life and things they're worried about. And yet we all have them. Uh, just listening to myself say it sounds insane not to talk about it because it's 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 critical to talk about it you know people die if they don't talk about it and that's horrific because that should never happen um and so from there i got into i got into counseling a couple of years later after i'd managed to get myself out of the business um i started working uh, I, I really pushed myself into writing heavily for six months. I published, I self-published a career change book, which I'm happy to share the link to um, for anyone who's interested. Um, it needs updating because a lot has happened since then, but it's there. Um, I've, you know, I've built a website. I, I got back, I started learning more about digital content management. I ended up getting a job with Mind working on the Time to Change campaign. Uh, and I did that for two years all in. And this was all at the same time as continuing to write and continuing to freelance and continuing to submit stuff, push stuff, go to conventions and speak to people. And um, but that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have sought help. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to work. Uh, and that's the other thing I would encourage anyone listening. You know, if you are if you're wanting to do your job, if you're wanting to have a career and if you're wanting to change career it's always worth speaking to someone um and just asking for advice whether it's professional or personal doesn't matter but 
uh you don't have to do it all by yourself you can you can talk to someone even if it's just a mate or a colleague or your partner or anyone you trust really um and never rule out counseling as well um i i went through one two three four counselors uh before i found someone that i felt i could talk to because you're essentially talking to a stranger which on the one hand is easier than talking to a friend because there's no expectation the stranger doesn't know you so you feel in on the one hand you can say more but on the other hand you're talking to a stranger so you're very suspicious of them and like who the hell are you you know it turns out they're a qualified professional and they're trained to deal with these kinds of problems so it's fine but sometimes it can take you a couple of goes to find that person that you think you can click with um i would always encourage anyone don't give up um keep trying because there's you will find someone anything that helps you develop in your career especially if you if you're looking to change you know don't ever rule out a professional coaching or counseling service because they can really really help they help me yes i i'm so glad that you did seek for support okay so john i've got final couple of questions for you um, so what's the best advice you have ever received? Be kinder to yourself. I've had that from my wife. I've had that from friends. I've had that from colleagues. I've I've had that from virtually everyone who's spoken to me in the past, especially in the last few years. Be kinder to yourself. Um, I think we all get told you must do this you must do that and we all have the terrible we thought we all fall into this terrible trap of comparison to how we perceive other people are doing and I think social media is very unhealthy or the way we I think the way we use social media can be very unhealthy I'll correct that because it's very easy to look at someone tweeting forever or on LinkedIn or on Facebook or bloody whatever you're using Instagram and think oh god they seem to be doing so well they seem to be doing so much more oh my god they've done like three blogs in one day oh my god it's it's a trap it it's the worst thing you can do is to compare yourself to other people so the best advice I ever received is just be kinder to yourself um you're not other people you're you um focus on what you're doing focus on what what you're trying to do you know it's almost like putting some blockers on and keeping your head down it's okay to be aware of things that are going on but you do have to pull yourself out of it and um, one way I do to do that is I put my phone in another room Um, if I need to focus and I need to concentrate I know what will happen if I leave my phone by my desk I'm just going to start scrolling I'm going to go on LinkedIn or I'm going to go on WhatsApp or I'm going to go on my Gmail and I'm going to start scrolling through emails and blah, blah, blah. And before, before I know it, two hours have gone by. So to be kinder to myself and my career, I've just put my phone in the other room now or I turn it off. Like I manage social media on my own terms now. Like I know I can only do about 10 minutes in the morning, maybe 10 minutes in the afternoon. If I try and do more than that, I'll lose a whole day. But be kinder to yourself. Best advice I ever got given. Such a great advice. Um, yeah. yeah, I really need to follow your advice. Um, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and final question. What advice would you give to those who are trying to follow their passions but feeling challenged to do so? Sure. I actually did a bullet point list for this, you'll be pleased to know. So um, number one, repeating myself, be kind to yourself. You know, you, you, you're embarking on something that is it, it can be really challenging. It's exciting, but it's really challenging. And you do not underestimate the mental toll it can take on you and the people who care about you. So be kind to yourself. And, you know, because that's being kinder to the people around you. You need to look after yourself uh, before you can look after anyone else. That's the first rule of first aid. Make sure you're OK before you start helping someone else. So look after yourself. Um next one I really thought hard about but it I think it's true be yourself be authentic I think authenticity is critical to success and I'm learning that I learned that the hard way 
Um, but actually, the more authentic I am in my career, in who I am, and being honest with people about my own expectations of whatever job I'm doing in, setting them or receiving expectations, being myself has really helped with that. And that that doesn't mean taking in all your baggage from home. That just means, you know, being comfortable with who you are as a person at home, at work, in whatever environment you find yourself in. It will shine through. Um, the next one I find this is my challenge because I am really introverted, believe it or not. Um, put yourself out there a little bit. And what I mean by that is there are things you can learn and do as you're developing courses, training, networking. Meetup is really good for networking. I know it if you're running a meetup, it could be expensive, but meetup as a site. If you have trouble on social media like Facebook in general, which can be good but can be bad. Meetup's really good for local networking, national networking, international networking. You can find all sorts of groups there and that will help encourage you to put yourself in the right positions for opportunities in the future. Um, so, you know, go be brave, go to conventions, go to meetings, even if you feel mm, I'm not sure I, I'll be good at this. Just go anyway. What's the worst thing that can happen? Nothing. You start with nothing. You might leave with nothing, but at least you've given it a go. Um, don't try and be something you're not. And this is really hard for people not to do, but try not to copy what everyone else is doing. Um, one of the biggest mistakes I made early in my career in writing and my other careers is literally trying to copy beat for beat what other people were doing it doesn't work um, and that it, it comes back to being authentic to who you are as well in any job if you're just copying what someone else is doing people will see through it pretty quickly they just won't they won't believe you they won't get it so trust yourself be who you are but don't don't copy don't copy exactly what other people do you can learn from other people and you can take away the bits and pieces that you think will help you but don't just do like for like don't Try not to copy. Um, I would say remember that being scared is pretty normal. <laughs> Whenever you're trying to do something new, it can be frightening. It's it's it can be terrifying. Uh, that's normal, uh, and it will help you to be braver. Um, it's what you do with that fear that I think counts. It's like I've been terrified more times in my life than I can count, and sometimes I've succumbed to that fear. Um, uh, but as I've got more experience and I'm getting older, I'm beginning to learn is actually fear can be really useful. I can use it as a tool. So if I'm scared, I can begin to almost analyse it. So, OK, well, why am I scared? You know, and then I can distance myself and logically think about, well, what's the worst that can happen in this situation? And for me, it's it's being in a huge networking event. For anyone listening, I loathe networking i think it's it is like an activity sent by the devil to 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 introverts uh, to to really make us feel horrible um i don't like it but i can do it and uh to do that it's it's basically just remembering <laughs> everyone in that room that you're in or online wh whichever way you're doing it is probably in the same mental position that you are as in their thinking oh god i hate this this is going to be awful blah blah but there's not many people who i think actively enjoy networking I, I know some who are very good at it but even they've told me oh god it's really exhausting i really don't like that but it's okay they still went and you can too it's um you know and sometimes you know i've made friends from unexpected networking <laughs> i call it um networking events that feel more relaxed um yeah. And my final bit of advice, I suppose, is it it ties back to putting yourself out there is put yourself in positions that are interesting to you and to what you want. Don't just pick random stuff that you think, oh, yeah, I'll go to this. Like, don't just go to a networking event because it's a networking event. Actually look at what you want to achieve, you know, ask yourself, well, what do I want to get out of this networking event? How will this help me develop my career further? Um, is this an area or a topic that 
I'm interested in or will help me progress? If the answer to all of those questions is no, don't go, don't do it. Uh, find stuff that you're interested in um, and work up from there because then it makes everything else that comes after much easier to do. Thank you. That's such a great advice, list of great advice uh, you got there. I have to type that out and <laughs> put it on the website where I'm going <laughs> to post this podcast episode. Um, <laughs> Heavily edited podcast episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, John, for having this conversation with me today and sharing your journey. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, where can we, um, can people go to? So you can find me on my website. That is johnallenwriter.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn. I cannot remember my LinkedIn handle, but if you type in John Allen award winning writer, because I am now, I should pop up. You can also find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at the only Johnny A. And um, where else can you find me? Those are my uh, those are my three main sources of communication. My website's the best place to go, johnallenwriter.com. Um, I'd say then go to Twitter and LinkedIn. So Twitter at the only Johnny A. Uh, LinkedIn just put in John Allen award winning writer, and I should come up. Amazing! I'll put those links in a show note as well. No problem. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been really Thank fun. <laughs> I know I waffle a lot, so feel free to edit it all. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with John. I felt a little emotional listening to his journey, but at the same time, it was really healing for me as well. I'm so proud to be able to call John my friend and really grateful for him to be so open to sharing his journey with us. I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll see you in the next episode.